You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, Nottingham Forest podcast from Nottinghamshire Live. Uh, my name is Matt Davis, hosting as ever, and we're joined this week by former Red striker uh, Nathan Tyson. Nathan, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. How Hi. are you getting on? Yeah, good. Getting along fine. Uh, just enjoying time with the family and stuff. Uh, yeah, just <laughs> just uh, plugging away as normal. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, we're streaming live on Facebook as ever, so do get your comments and questions in for Nathan and we'll put one or two to him uh, about his Reds career. Obviously, we're going to talk uh, you know, extensively about your time at Forest, but I wanted to start off just by asking you about um, your early days in football. Um, obviously, I remember watching you when you joined Forest. You were ridiculously quick, and uh, I imagine you probably still are. But when you were um, when you were a kid growing up, playing, you know, under nines up to under sixteens. I imagine you scored tons and tons of goals because you were that much quicker than everyone else. Was that the case or not? Uh, earlier on, yeah. So obviously starting up, I think it started up at uh, eight years old. Um, my dad, dad wasn't really expecting it, and then he he saw me play my first game, and I scored a hat trick, and he was like, "Oh my god, here we go again!" Because my older brother was on was on the scene playing for for Wimbledon and Plymouth and places like that. So yeah, I, I think the most goals I scored as a kid was like sixty two goals in the season. So. But obviously, the older you get, the higher you get, the harder it gets. So, it's um, yeah, it was good times. Probably enjoyed more playing football as a kid than I do generally now, really. So, <laughs> When you were that good as a kid and you were that quick, was it a case of your brain having to catch up with your body in a footballing sense in terms of, you know, mm. the actual game itself, touch, technique, not being offside, that kind of stuff? Was that your main challenge as a boy growing up? Uh, you just you just learn the game. Um, you know, you you always back then you always worked on your strongest attributes, not so much your weaknesses and stuff. Um, so everyone, all my coaches that I had uh, coming through, they always just said, "Look, just use your pace, use your pace." Don't. So, um, I remember playing for um, there was a team called Wokenham Town, and they um, I got called into their reserves. I was fourteen years old, and I'm playing against grown men. And the one that the captain said to me, said, look, make sure you do not go anywhere near them because they're just going to chuck you off the pitch. Back then, two foot, two foot tackles were, were legal back then. So, you know, they used to rugby tackle me, everything and that. And it was, uh, I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed the challenge and stuff, but I could just run past these, you know, these older blokes and, you know, leave them for dust and stuff and just really enjoyed it. It was a good challenge, but, you know, you you're never going to get 14 year old playing in the first team these days. So um, it was definitely, you know, it's definitely uh, the start of something for me. So I always knew that I just needed to keep away from the bigger blokes or put myself on the slowest defender and just, you know, just blitz them as much as I can. Let's fast forward then to when you joined Forest. How did you end up there? Because I remember you were banging goals in for Wickham. I guess there was quite a lot of interest in your signature. Uh, how did you end up at the City Ground? Um, you know what? We were me and my agent we were we were on our way up to. We went to Sheffield Wednesday, and uh, we had a we had a meeting with uh, Paul Sturrock at the time, and I was like, "Oh wow, Sheffield Wednesday, big club." Um, 
thinking, you know, massive, massive ground and everything. And uh, Sky, they were playing that day as well. So I was going to be, you know, there signing the contract and sitting in the stands watching the game. And Sky were going to do a big bit about it in X, Y and Z. But I just didn't get the vibe from Paul Storick. Um, I thought I thought he came across a bit negative towards me. And I thought, you know, I don't, something don't sit right with me. And uh, my agent said, look, you don't want to do it, do you? And I was like, no. But then on the drive back, as we're driving uh, back to my car, um, Gary, Mex- um, Gary Megson phoned my agent and said, look, bring him here. We want him. And that's how it came about. And I thought, wow, not in the forest. So I think, I can't remember, I think it was like a week later or a couple of days later, I remember a long time ago. Um, I remember coming up to the city ground. As soon as I walked through the door, seeing the, the European Cup trophy and uh, you know seeing seeing the grounds, everyone made me feel very welcome. Um, and I just thought, you know what, this is me. This is a bit of me. This. And even though it was only a, a league up, I just thought, you know, I can I can do something here. And uh, this is where this is where I need to be in my career to come here to a place like Nottingham Forest and uh, just walk through the door and you know, Gary Mexon was there. He made me feel very very welcome. So I was I was I was delighted and I thought, yeah, this is this is the the right club for me. What kind of club were you walking into then? Because Megson isn't fondly remembered by Forest fans for for his time there. Results weren't weren't great. What was the dressing room like when you when you walked in? Uh, it wasn't great. It was no. it was uh, it was fractured like hell. Uh, if if it was a broken leg, it would be unrepairable. Uh, well, should I say almost unrepairable? Um, but it was definitely there were definitely clicks in the changing room. You had the younger lads like James Perch, Wes Morgan, Spencer uh, Weir Daly. They were they were involved, and then you had the older the older lads who pretty much I think. You know, Gary, Gary Megson just couldn't get in charge of them, um, and there was it was just a very fractured dressing room. You know, I come from a dressing room at Wickham where it was great to be around. You had the experience of Rob Lee, Tommy Mooney, etc., and then you come to Nottingham Forest, and you have you know players that didn't want to be there, um, and the fans getting on top of them and X, Y, and Z. And I just thought to myself, wow, this is this ain't great. But I've got to now use this as a stepping stone to get to where I want to be, if need be. Um, and I, I just I just felt like it was just completely fractured. But, you know, I think Gary Megson, he tried his best, but maybe done it in the wrong way because the club, I think the club got relegated the season before. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I th- when you're going into an environment like that, there's always... there's there's that losing mentality already settled in and players that didn't want to be there. I think Marlon, Marlon King had just left as well. And um, yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely a bit of a, bit of a cesspit at the time. What was Megson like then to, to play for? I mean, I, remember, I don't remember the football being good, but that doesn't make him a bad manager. What, what was he like to work for? It was good for me. It, it, it was, it was good for me. He, um, he, he had a lot of confidence in myself. Um, he thought that bringing me in could, you know, turn games on the head. I could make something out of nothing, which I was doing at Wickham anyway. Um, and so he brought me in, and he was giving me the confidence that 
look, you know, you're going to play week in, week out and X, Y and Z. And I don't think some of the rest of the lads, uh, you know, some some players, especially in a similar position as me, kind of, I didn't feel like they wanted me there, to be honest. You know, I'm kind of stepping on people's toes coming in. But I got along with Gary Mixon and, um, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have spent, you know, five five years at the club. Um, so be it. But, you know, I got along with him well. Um, if he liked you, he liked you. It doesn't stop from him giving you a bollocking at times. But, um, you know, if you face, if he didn't like you, oh, yeah, you'd know. But he was definitely, he was definitely a rant and raver in the changing room at now. But I don't have a bad word to say about him. Um, you know, he treated me with respect and care and uh, trusted me in trying to do the best job possible for the team. Um, I'll just read out a couple of the comments that have come in. If you were worried you might get a bad reception, you haven't. Um, <laughs> there's one here just saying uh, legend, another one saying legend. And there's one here from John Michael White saying that you're signing uh, actually made the club enjoyable to, to watch again for a while and you'll always be special for that. And you'll be pleased to know there's quite a few comments about waving a flag um, in Robbie <laughs> Savage's face, which we'll probably come on to in a bit, I'm sure, as we um, right. progress through. Um, <laughs> when, when did the tide turn then in terms of the United dressing room? How, how did that, that come about, do you think? I think, when, to be honest, when Gary Mexon left, um, you just saw everyone just... It was like a lot of players there, just uh, the weight come off their so- uh, their shoulders, and I'm thinking to myself, "Wow, you know, <laughs> you really didn't like him that much." And uh, and everyone just thought, "Right, okay, we're going to make a go of it." And uh, you know, um, Frank come in and Charlie come in, and they did a fantastic job. And I I thought that they were they deserved to get the job permanently after that season because we weren't actually that far off from reaching the playoffs that year. Um, we turned it around, but you know it, it, it didn't materialise. And um, you know you just, like I said, you just saw a lift come off the players' lads, and it was just like freedom, uh, enjoying football, a training change that wasn't so, it wasn't so manic. It was, it was enjoyable. And uh, I think when you have a manager that is as intense as Gary Megson, you know, the uh, the reverse effect is to make sure that players are coming in and enjoying their uh, place of work and enjoying what they do. Um, and just a lot of the players just felt felt that and results started coming in. And they started, uh, you know, tumbling in very, very fast. Yeah, I remember that time with Frank Barlow and Charlie McParland in charge going to a few games myself and you were winning them all. McParland kind of always... Uh, even watching terrified me. He looked so intense. Was that a kind of a different balance then? Were they kind of a, a yin and yang in that short time they were in charge? Yeah, they definitely, they definitely were. Uh, I mean, Frank would put your arm around you. Uh, you know, Charlie would <laughs> he would give you a bollocking, but but it was in a positive way. It wasn't the fact that you know he, he wasn't effing and blinding at anyone. He just he just knew what he wanted and he knew how to get the team going. Um, he just wanted. He came in there with a calm voice and just said, "Look, I'm different. This is how we're going to do things. Uh, you know, until someone comes in or if we get the job or whatever." I think Charlie was very, very disappointed that he didn't get the job full time. Um, mm. At the time, I thought they might have made a bit of a mistake there, but things things slowly, you know, quickly changed after that. So it was definitely um, at the time it was what the football club needed. Because I think if they didn't take charge, 
I think the football club would be, would have been in a worse state than what it was. What was it like when Colin Calderwood came in? I remember, I think I'm right in saying he made quite a few signings and changed the yeah. the nature of the team a fair bit. Was was that a positive time? Did, did he hit the ground running and embrace? Did the players embrace he, him quickly? He came in uh, the first day. He came in. We had a meeting upstairs uh, above the Robin Hood Suite, and um, he had a big board um, uh, uh, paper, and he said. Put your name on here if you if you don't want to be here. <laughs> Everyone's all like looking around at each other, and we we're like, "Wow!" He came in with authority. He came in straight away. He said, "Look, I do not want players that don't want to be here." Because I'm guessing the first time he he heard about the change room, he was kind of like, "Look, I do not want you know these there's players here that don't want to be here." So he wanted to call them out in front of everyone, in front of the team. Personally, it's something that I would never ever do. Um, but one or two, one or two players did end up putting their name down. I'm not going to name names. But, put their um, name down. Oh yeah, God. actually stood up, stood up, and put their name down. Mm. So what was, reaction to that? What, what, what was your reaction to that when players are so nakedly willing to put their name down on papers? No, I'm, a, I don't want to do I'm a laughing, joking kind of guy, and I just kind of like was like. <laughs> like, oh my god! Like, has he actually just done that? And, the, and then I think another player. I don't know if it was one, but it, mm. it might have been two. But I know, I know definitely one that went up there, and I was just like, "Wow!" But we kind of had an inkling anyway. You know, stuff gets said in the changing room. So he, uh, yeah, it was very interesting time. But you know, Colin, he came in with a with a plan. He wanted to change the philosophy of the club, the changing room. And he'd done it. He, he'd done it in his own unique way. Yeah, at times, I found him a bit difficult to talk to, um, you know, especially going into his office and having a chat about, you know, why I'm not playing or why I'm not involved, um, why I'm not starting X, Y and Z. Um, and he, 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 to be fair, he, he kind of beat around the bush, but he got to the point. And then you take it away and you work on it. And but he was a lovely guy, and uh, the the rest of the staff were absolutely fantastic. They just changed things around and it made it more positive. And um, they just took bits out of what Charlie and Frank had been doing and just added to it. And um, that was it worked. You know, we got to the playoffs that season. Unfortunately, we didn't go up. But the following year was, you know, far far the better better year really. One of the better years I enjoyed at Forest. Yeah, it was kind of at that time as a case of two Yeovils, wasn't it? There was the, the playoff yeah. game and then the second one. I mean, if we get the playoff game out of the way, yeah. what happened there? What are your recollections of it? Because it was such a disaster on, for the club at that point. What went wrong? Well, I was I was out. I'd, uh, you know, I'd ruptured my knee, um, mm. my medial ligament, and tore my hamstring, uh, hamstring tendon off the bone. So, you know, I was... I was devastated to not be involved. Um, but it was just, I think we might have just been a bit overconfident because we won the first leg uh, comfortably. And then the second leg, just, we just, we weren't expecting it. You know, people were ta- already talking about how they're going to get to Wembley. You know, people were mm. talking about hotels in Wembley. People were talking about, we've got these banners, we've got this champagne in, you know, we're, we're going to Wembley. We hadn't even kicked a ball for the second leg yet. And, and everyone's all 
like thinking about, you know, we're going, we're going to the championship. You know, they they didn't even fit. they just thought that we're going to beat the overall easy, and then whoever we have in the final, we're going to beat anyway. We're going to the championship, and, and and I just thought that was the wrong way for the football club to come. There, there were staff members at the time going around saying to certain players that, yeah, we're doing this, we're doing that. You know, if you want your parts to come, we'll sort them out with like this hotel and X, Y, and Z. And I'm hearing these things, and I'm injured, and I'm like, look, that's great. We still got a job to do, and uh, yeah. unfortunately, you know, Yeovil were the better team on the day, and that thoroughly deserved their um, their success that year. Did you watch the game at the ground or at home, and could you see it getting away from uh, the no, team? I watched, as you were watching? I watched it. I watched it at, at um, sorry, I watched it at the ground. I was on my, I was at a leg brace and crutches and X, Y, and Z, and um, yeah, the abuse that Wes Morgan got at the end of the game was disgusting. I thought that was uncalled for. Um, you know, he's people were saying that he was at fault for for whatever. Um, but I just thought it was I thought it was uncalled for. I actually got someone had some someone had my number um and racially abused me on the phone and I wasn't even playing. Yeah. <laughs> so um it was disgusting on on that front really. Um but uh, you know what what don't kill you makes you stronger at the end of the day. And we definitely set out the following season to do, to put that right. How did, what happened with, can I ask what happened with the racial abuse then? Because was that, was that, was that rare then for you coming through your career? Because it's in the news now, but there was a time <laughs> where we thought I'd been washed out of the game. I mean, did that happen a lot to you or not? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Even when I was at Wickham, I remember playing Shrewsbury away. And I uh, got racially abused, and a steward actually a steward come up and come and told me, and I didn't mm. even I didn't even hear it. And he told me, and and um, he told me what he said, and uh, I was like, wow. Um, you hear it quite a lot. I remember going to Millwall for the first time when I was at Reading. A guy just this guy he had his two kids with him in the stand, and he just wouldn't shut up. Every time I going out for warm up, and he was racially abusing me like point blank and then uh, I think it was one of my teammates who was warming up with me told Alan Pardew and Alan Pardew said no get him in and he said look just sit here don't get warmed up I'm not going to bring you on um, I had Cardiff away boxing day I had bottle tops thrown at me I think it's a, more of the fact that I was uh, that I've been on loan at Swansea uh, mm. I think the season before or, um, yeah, they were chucking coins at me and calling me all kinds of racial names and that. And then growing up as a kid as well, I remember players racially abusing me. The area that I come from is not very diverse. It wasn't very diverse at the time. Um, and I was like one of mixed race player, black player at my school <laughs> and uh, in my team as well. So I was targeted that way. But I, I my dad's who's white and my mum's black they deal with it in a different way my dad will always say to me prove them wrong you know prove mm. prove them that you know show them how good you are absolutely just score loads of goals you know and it will shut them up my mum different she wants to fight everyone man or woman mm. she don't care <laughs> um so I kind of learn you know you, you, you grow up in my time you grow up with it now now we're so diverse now, but with social media, 
it's just another platform for everyone out there that can get their hands on and start abusing anyone that they want. And that's not right. Mm. What would you say to your kids? I don't know if you, I know you've got kids. I don't know if they're boys or girls or if they play. I mean, what would your message to them be? Because I'm like a middle-class white guy who's never had to deal with any of this. I mean, you're a father. How would you tell your kids to deal with stuff like that? Because it's obviously not on at all, is it? Yeah, we. Um, I've had that conversation. I mean, my my twin daughters are eighteen now. Uh, Beth, Beth does does play now and then whenever she wants. Um, it's it's so different. Um, I guess in the women's game, it is different. Um, it's. It, I, I've had I've had the conversation. And said, look, if something happens, you got to tell it. You got to tell the ref. The ref don't do anything about it. Tell your coach, and you know if you feel. Like you want to walk off the pitch, then do it. Tell your teammates and say, "Look, I'm not playing under this." You know, uh, my son, my oldest boy, he um, he don't play football anyway. <laughs> he's more into his gaming and stuff. But um, he's, he's too t- he's too intelligent to be honest. Um, <laughs> I've had that, but I've had that uncomfortable conversation with him. You know, with you know, not all police officers are bad, but if you do get stopped by the police, because I've been stopped many times from my life um if you do get stopped and i've told him how to you know know your rights um you know be polite you know speak calmly you know uh, and then just make sure you get the number off their back uh, off of the shoulder ask them for their name and then you can file a report and and if anything was ever to happen if you ended up at police station don't say anything until you've spoken to myself or your mum so um mm-hmm. You know, it kind of you have to have that uncomfortable. But I think it. I think with what's going on now, I think it. It. It, it depends on where you live in the country as well. You know, if you live in South London, stuff are a lot worse than what they are up here. Um, I just, I just always say to my kids, just make sure your nose is clean and you're not getting involved in any stupid stuff. If any worries, you 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 phone me and let let me know. I mean, I've got my my youngest son who's, you know, he's. Uh, 18 19 months so we've got a long way yet to have that conversation so but it's just different times I mean when I grew up it was it was daily it was daily Mm. Um, you you know uh, the only thing I get now is if say if I'm walking down the street and I'm in a tracksuit people I had noticed people cross the road to avoid me so Mm. that's the sad fact of it when I used to used to catch a train quite a bit uh, when I was going up to uh, Scotland and X, Y, and Z, if I sat on a table of four, um, I would sit there, and and the rest of the train was packed. No one would sit next to me. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of sad like that. But yeah. we got there's a lot that needs to be done. It's just education, education. Uh, you know, change is slow, but we you know everyone needs to do their part and and play their part in making everyone equal. Mm. in a sense yeah uh, it feels a bit trivial turning it back to football but I think uh, that's right. <laughs> there's no good way to do it so I'll just pile back in um, yeah. so we go back to the next season then we've got the the big disappointment of losing to Yeovil what was the club like uh, picking yourself up after that and going again and obviously you did get promotion in the end but it must have been a tough few months of the team after the playoff defeat for Yeovil yeah it was um it was tough. I mean, like I said, I was, I was, I was focused on getting myself fit. Um, I don't think I got 
fit until October time. I think I was, I was five, five and a half months out. It's the longest injury I'd ever had and still to date. Um, but, you know, the lads were very confident. Everyone was like, right, OK, we know what we've got to correct this. We know what we need to do. You know, the management brought in certain players as well that added to the changing room and just the positivity in there um, just grew and grew and grew. You saw the quality that was in the changing room and, uh, you know, there was nothing stopping us really, um, just by ourselves. It was ours, you know, ours to lose. So that season for me, we we did what was asked of us, albeit we didn't win the title. Uh, that would have been nice, but, you know, we had some good teams in there. Swansea, Swansea were Decent, very, very decent. And Donny were as well. And Carlisle, you know, they, they were a bit of a shock. Um, mm. So, you know, us and, and them three teams, you know, it was it was good, very good competition. You, know, you had people scoring goals left, right and centre in their teams. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was really good. Um, good year, tough year, but it was good. The run-ins that season, the last few games, it was really intense because I think, was it Carlisle were way ahead of you and you basically needed to win all your last six or seven games and you played all the teams at yeah. the top. What 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 are your memories of that spell leading up to that famous last day of the season? Yeah, I think it was... Um, I remember we played Carlisle away and I, I'd had an issue with my back and um, uh, it kept on locking up my hamstring. Uh, I kept on going for scans and it just wasn't showing anything. So I, I ended up having an injection in my back and managed to get myself fit. I remember playing Tramir. Um, oh, God, my, do you know what? My phone battery's about to die. Yeah, go and get a charger. I'm going to have to get a charger in a minute. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I, I blame my son because he keeps on wanting to watch Hey Dougie on the, on the phone. Anyways, we... Uh, <laughs> we yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we, you know, we we just focused on what we needed to do. We were actually, to be honest, we were actually prepared to go into the playoffs. We were never mm. thinking about we could make we could make second place here. Um, it was always prepared for the playoffs. We wanted to make sure that we had a good run into the playoffs. You don't want to go into the playoffs losing to winning, winning to drawing to whatever. You want to make sure that you win like four or five uh, going into the playoffs, uh, you, you want you want an unbeaten run. So you know that you've got the confidence there and teams are going to feel you thinking, God, this team, right, they've come into the playoffs on fire. And you, mentally, you've already got them on the back foot. So we were thinking, yep, playoffs again. This time, we're going to Wembley. This time, we're going to do it. So, but <laughs> that all turned around, you know, all thanks to, you know, Carlisle and Donny dropping points and obviously us you know, beating Yeovil on the final day. Let's talk about that Yeovil game itself then. I was, I was there and I remember going into it thinking, kind of probably what you were thinking, um, you know, oh, we might win this one, but it won't work out for us. Could you feel the, the, the energy of the crowd and know what was going on in the game? Did you have a sense that actually things were going well for you elsewhere as well as on the pitch for you? It was definitely. I couldn't. I couldn't understand what anyone was actually saying, and it wasn't until um, I can't remember the player's name. I think it might uh, Terrell Forbes, um, mm. centre half. Well, he was playing centre half at the time. He um, he he said, "Tice, you're, 
you know you're going up. And I was like, no, like, shut up, whatever. He said, seriously, you're going up. Can you not hear him? And I was like, no, I can't. <laughs> I'm so focused on the game. Um, but it was, when I noticed it, I was just like, oh my, wow. Like, it's, my ears, it, it gives me gives me chills now just thinking about that moment. And I'm thinking, oh my God, we are actually, what what's going on? Because we didn't know, you know, we was expecting, we never thought, we never thought that Carlo and Doncaster were going to be dropping points. Um, we always thought that, okay, one of them's going going up, more likely to be Donny. So they're playing Cheltenham away, but Cheltenham are fighting for their lives. And we just we just never imagined it. And when it was coming coming about and you, the roar from the fans, uh, oh, wow. Never I've never I've never experienced that feeling in my whole entire career. I can't, when people always ask me about that day, seriously, the, it, it's, it was crazy, crazy, crazy. It was the best feeling I've ever had in football. Um, and it was very emotional as well because you're like, wow, like we finally achieved, achieved something. You know, I, I, um, you know, Reading got promoted. I was coming through then and, I even got a medal for that. I didn't, you know, I didn't even make that many appearances that season. And you see how everyone acts there, you know, the celebrations and stuff there. And then, and then I got promoted with Cheltenham um, at the Millennium Stadium in the playoffs, uh, the old Division Three. And uh, you know, that's all exciting. But this one was, it was on another scale. It was like we won the World Cup. That's what it felt like. Well, that's what I could imagine it would feel like. It was just, uh, what a day. What a day. I'll, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, remember, <laughs> what was it like when Bennett scored? Did the roof come off? Can you Could you feel it was something special then? Because that was a hell of a goal to get them going. Did you feel then that it might be your day? Seriously, in the way that <laughs> this guy, I, I, I just remember the tackle. I remember yeah. the tackle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be a red card. That would be a red card. It would be now, yeah. it, it, but that was just that was Jules. That that's mm. what he did. He you know, he just you know, he will cut you in training, he don't care. <laughs> like, you could be best mates with him, he'll he will two foot you in training, he don't care. But Jules was Jules was an animal, you know, he was a fighter and it's just a shame that he had the injuries that he did because he, he could have played up, you know, a high level and, and to be honest when he hit that shot, I'm thinking, has he just done that <laughs> outside of the left peg? <laughs> but that just summed him up, you know, not an unborn and bred, and he's just gone and done that. So he, you know, he uh, when that went in, I was just like, wow, wow, you know, game game on. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> good old Jules. What was it like on the final whistle then? Because when Chris Cohen was on, he spoke about people on the pitch the smell of beer he mentioned and yeah. stuff like that could you could you take it in or, or was it just a whole haze it was just it was just crazy because I, I i remember i remember the fans just just all charging onto the charging onto the pitch and it was just crazy like people trying to rip shorts off and stuff like that and uh i remember seeing my twin daughters at the time and i'd give them a big cut and that for me as a father, to have your children on on a stage that uh, that you've worked so hard for to achieve something, 
something and to be able to share it with them in that precise moment in time just is what for me is what I wanted my what what I want my children to experience so they know that when they get older and they achieve things they can look back at this moment and say well I shared that with my dad and for me that's what that's what makes it for me being able to share it with my family share any success that I get I always will share it with my family to say look I you don't understand that from where I come from I was not the best player coming up as a kid you know I I struggled through my teenage years educationally kaput like there was no I had no other options but I pursued this career and to have moments like that on that day and share it with my kids to say, look, if I can do this, then so can you. And no matter what walk in life you do, like me, a dyslexic kid, uh, came from nothing, had nothing to lose. Um, you know, this is what you can achieve. This is what life's about. These, these achievements here. This is, this is, to me, what being a professional footballer is all about. Those small um, you know, once in a lifetime achievements in your career, because you there's so many lows in football, but there's very few highs. There's a comment here from Cindy Curry Statham saying, "I remember your cute twins. Although if they're 18 <laughs> now, they probably give you more problems than they did way back then." <laughs> yeah, they definitely do. They definitely do. They're, they're good girls, really good girls, and I'm blessed with them both. Uh, blessed with all my children, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm very lucky, very, very lucky. And they, uh, yeah, they're making it, they're starting to make their own way in life now, obviously hitting adulthood and stuff. And, you know, I, I give them the best advice that I possibly can. But, you know, thank you very much for that message. <laughs> they, they weren't little terrors back then as well, actually. So, <laughs> um, you, you talk about sharing, you obviously shared, shared it with your teammates. One of your teammates on the day was. Junior Gogo, who's no longer with us, sadly died. I think it was like 40 or something really sad. I mean, what are your memories of him? Because you'd have played up front with him. What was he like as a player and a teammate? Yeah, he, the guy never stopped smiling. I don't think, I, there's probably, I probably count on one hand the times that I've seen him not smile. Even, uh, and most of them are probably because he wasn't in the team or starting. But he, um, after that, he, he just never stopped smiling. The guy he was dancing around in the physio room and in, in the changing room. He he was he was a happy guy. Loved the night out as well. So <laughs> there's no doubt about that. But he enjoyed life. And to see, you know, I spoke to Wes about him because when you when you do leave a club, you you do lose out of touch with players, and uh, and that's that happens in football. Um, it happens in any walk of life, really. Um, but, you know, I regret not keeping in contact with him as much as what I should. And that's the sad fact of it because he, you know, he, he did have an impact on my life uh, in a positive way. Um, there's still music that he used to play all the time. And I, I'd hear it now and I'd just be like, wow, that's Junior, that is. Uh, so, you know, God bless him. He, um, yeah, it's sad, very, very sad. Um, are you still in touch with many players from your Forest days? And you know, you played for a few clubs, obviously. A lot of players yeah. do. Are there any that you're still mates with from those days? I still, uh, I still see, you know, Aaron Davis now and then. Uh, I bump into Lewis. I bump into Chris. Um, 
probably not so much now because he's done done at Luton and stuff. Um, uh, Kelvin Kelvin actually phoned me um, uh, in the summer actually uh, talking about a uh, proposition for me anyway. But he, um, yeah, so you, you just keep an acquaintance. I, I spoke to Wes a couple of times and that, but it's very it, it's very tough. Like you said, I've played for so many clubs and there's so many players that I've played with to try and keep in touch with them. I, I, there's not enough hours in the day. I can <laughs> can speak to everyone, but you know you try you just keep an eye and stuff and you know you, uh, and, and see see how everyone's doing and you try and keep uh, keep up uh, with their lives and what's going on next Y and Z. There's a few more Forest bits I want to ask you about before we have to let you go. Obviously, one of them the Man City game away in the FA Cup, which I think was the following season after you went up. I mean, it wasn't like they didn't have. Aguero and Silva, but they did have company and Zabaleta and Joe Hart and teams like that. That must have been a hell of a day, especially for yourself scoring a, yeah. a goal. And I saw on the BBC website, you got an average rating of 9.5 out of 10 and with a man of the match. So it must have gone yeah. pretty well for you on the day. Yeah, it was. I, I think uh, in terms of um, leading up to it, I was in contract talks as well. And I wasn't in a rush to sign anything, to be honest. And then... Um, uh, I just remember, right, there was a change, obviously change of management, Billy Davis coming in as well, but he didn't take charge of the game. Um, so we just thought, <laughs> uh, I just, just remember something about Joe Garner then, but I won't go into details. But um, we, <laughs> we, just, we were just there enjoying the day. You know, we're going mm. along, we're going to go and play some football. That's what it, that's what it was. We're just going to go and play a game of football and... You know, we're probably going to get pumped six nils, but you know we enjoy it. And uh, lo and behold, that that wasn't the case. I think uh, I think obviously when we got the first goal, yes, we thought, oh wow, like one nil up, okay, let's go. Two nil up, and we're like, wow. But we were first half, we were just pinning them back. We we were just we we, we were all over them, and uh, and I think that's when the second goal go went in. We're thinking we can actually win this game. And then, uh, yeah, half time came, and then obviously Joe got the, got the third as well. So it was it was a fantastic day. And then Mark Arthur come and spoke to me after the game and said, "Let's uh, let's sit down next week and talk about a new deal." <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was quite interesting. And then Billy came in after that. I've spoken yeah. to, as I said, Cohen before about Billy. I've spoken to Paul Anderson about Billy. They both yeah. loved him. Um, what was he like for you? They talk about attention to detail. Is that something that you picked up on as well with Billy? <laughs> attention to detail. Jeez, that guy was <laughs> thorough. That I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And um, what a guy! I absolutely loved him. I, I, I loved working under him. We did bump heads a couple of times, um, but he gave confidence and faith in, in me, um, even though. He, played me out wide and I told him numerous times I think I must have gone in his office every time I think I went into his office saying I'm not a wide player I hate playing out wide why are you playing me out wide uh, you know but we had we had Ernie and we had Dexter at top natural goal scorers mm-hmm. but you know I was like kind of insulted um, but he said look I want you to play out wide for me now I need pace out wide um, so but he would chuck me in up top if we were a man down or we needed to stretch a team. They chucked me up there. So, but he—he uh, he was good for me. He was good for my career, to be honest. And he, still to this day, there's stuff that he said in in, in meetings and stuff that I, I take that I tell people now. Um, 
because he was right. He was right. Even though back then a lot of us thought he was mad. But it was, <laughs> it was, good. It was a good mad, but he was right. And if I ever speak to him again, I say to him, Billy, you were right. So, yeah, good guy, good guy. Um, he defended you after an incident with a corner flag, so I'll ask you about that now. I mean, what <laughs> happened then, that game against Derby? You got in a lot of hot water for it with, with the FA, I yeah. think, at the time. What's your version of events? Uh, <laughs> just being stupid. That's all it was. It was, just a, it, was a, it was a heat at the moment thing. I remember uh, Robbie Savage, you know, doing it the year before, you know. Uh, scarf, yeah. Yeah, scarf and everything. And uh, I thought, you know what, we beat them this year. You know, let's proper celebrate. I probably just took it over the edge a bit too far. Um, when I, the disappointing thing about it is when it starts to hit home, when you start to hear stories in the derby and that, you know, a little girl near enough getting crushed and you just think uh, that's that's not me when I look at it now that weren't me it's not someone who I think the person that I am today I just think I just got carried away with the emotion and the hype of the you know the rivalry in itself and yeah. I do regret it and I've apologized for it and I apologize to anyone it was just it's not sportsmanship at the end of the day and that's something that you know, I pride myself upon and I just let myself go. I got too caught up in the moment of, you know, another player on the opposite team who thrives with that kind of stuff, you know, and, um, you know, I shouldn't have got involved in it. And it just have went you grown up a lot, man? Say again? Uh, have, you grown up, have you changed a lot over the years then? I mean, that was, yeah. when was that? 11 yeah. years ago, you're 38. I think you're, you're almost exactly the same age as me to the month. Have you, yeah. you changed a lot in that time? You look younger than me. Have you changed yeah. a lot in that time? Yeah, def- definitely. Um, you know, you you start to analyse life and the opportunities that you've had, uh, some decisions that you shouldn't have made. Um, so there's, you know, I, I, I do believe in you do have regrets in life, um, but as long as you learn from them and grow from them, you know, you can you can become a better person as a whole. Um, that was just something that was just childish and immature at the time. And um, but obviously, there's a lot of Forest fans that really enjoyed it. So, but when people come and speak to me, see me on the street, oh, I remember the flag waving. You're just kind of like, oh, God, like, <laughs> I'm never going to live this down. But um, I generally didn't mean to like be anywhere near the derby. Yet. Then I was just trying to get to the other side um, on the Brian Cloth stand and run around which I continued to do while it was all kicking off behind me. Um, but, yeah, it was, it's something that I'm not proud of. But, you know, that's in the past now. When you talk about regret, I don't know if regret will be the right word for not going up with Forrest to the Premier League with that team yeah. that lost in the playoffs, because it wasn't, you know, not completely in your control, obviously. But is that yeah. a disappointment in your career that you didn't get to go up with Forrest having enjoyed taking them into the Championship when, with the oval game that we discussed? Is that... A disappointment in your career, even now. Yeah, yeah, it hurts. It hurts now. We had two bites of the cherry, and the first one should have been the one. But we took mm. our eye off the ball, just like the Oval game. We we thought, oh, it's only Blackpool. Yeah, they're pitched that they don't deserve to go in the Premier League. They actually don't deserve to be in in the playoffs because their pitch is a beach, you know. Mm. But we underestimated them, really did. 
And, you know, like it happened again, the whole Yeovil situation, it happened again. People are starting to thinking about hotels in London, you know, where they're going to stay, uh, who are they going to take to the match, what coach or who's doing the drive down to London to go and watch Forest play in the playoff final. And we hadn't even got there yet. Uh, and it just happened again. And you look back at it and you just think, that was our opportunity. That, mm. that was our best opportunity of going up that year. Um, the following year, um, playing against Swansea, um, we feared Swansea. You could hear it in the changing room. People were saying, we don't want Swansea. We don't want to play Swansea. Because Swansea were a far better team uh, at the time. They, they're attacking threat. And I, people feared them. And even in the changing room, we did fear them. We didn't want to play Swansea. We would rather have Reading, and I think it was Cardiff as well, I do believe. Mm. Um, we would rather play them. Um, so we were already on the back foot. When we got the draw at home, but, the, you know, they went down to 10 men. And then, uh, obviously, going down there, uh, Billy made so many changes in the team. You know, he, he start, I, I missed the first game, and he started me. The second game, he said, yeah, I need you fit. You know, I'm having an injection in an area that... <laughs> It was very, very painful for my groin. Did you have a groin injury, shall we say? Was yeah. That... <laughs> yeah. I did, it tra- I did it in training. It was the stupidest injury. But it was an injury that was... It gave me so much chip the following year. Um, yeah, it was... I, I had, had uh, an injection near... In a certain private area that had to that had to be done just to get me through the game, and I remember I blew up after sixty minutes. Um, I put a cross in for Marcus, and um, yeah, I felt it click, and I thought oh, I've done I've done damage here, and I couldn't finish off the game, um, which was which was sad. Was that your last game? I get my timeline right here. Was that yeah. your last game, Forest? Yeah. yeah, last game, last game, and uh, it was heartbreaking heartbreaking to be honest and you know what happened next was even more gut-wrenching but it it was the, you know it made a, a certain decision a lot easier so how did you end up at derby then because obviously yeah. that's not a popular move i mean was yeah. there an offer on the table from forest was there a lot of other interest but it was right for your family to stay in the region i mean what, what's the story behind it so the story is um forest didn't offer me anything until until I'd been speaking to Derby. Um, if that kind of makes sense. They, they offered me a contract that would just be an offer, regardless of what the amount. Um, mm. It was always going to be an extremely low amount. But they just offered something just to say to fans, well, we offered them a contract. You know, it could have been £1.50 a week. It, in their eyes, they have offered me a contract. But... You know, I actually didn't receive the letter of the contract until I'd actually, after I signed for Derby. So they never once picked up the phone for me. I didn't know what was going on with Billy Davis. I didn't know what was happening. You know, there was no phone call, no correspondence, no speaking to my agent, not even to my dad's, not even to me. I didn't know nothing. So as far as I'm concerned, my contracts, they didn't want me. So what am I supposed to do? I'm not going to wait around. And especially after a conversation that happened after the Swansea game, um, you know, basically being told that, you know, good luck, all the best. 
Um, and everyone always said, you know, everyone was all getting our, you know, uh, unlu- uh, sorry, like unlucky, see you next season kind of thing. And that didn't happen with me. So I'm thinking to myself, well, this guy, you're taking the mick. Um, and it wasn't Nigel, by the way, because I've got a lot of respect for Nigel. Um, love, love, love that guy. But um, yeah, so it all come about. And when Derby came about, it was like, well, one, I don't have to move anywhere. And two, you know, I could stay close to my family, uh, you know, to my children. And, um, you know, it's, you know, my first job is being a father at the end of the day. And I thought, well, that's that's the best opportunity for me. And uh, I had one or two other clubs, but nothing materialised. So ultimately, I just had Derby on um, on the agenda. I had nowhere else to go. So I'm not going to be unemployed. So I have to go and work. Have you ever found out why all these years later, why the offer from Forest was a kind of a low ball one? I mean, it was a bit weird that you were a regular first team player and they offered you a big pay cut. I know the money was like Nigel Dowd, he was pumping a lot of money into the club, but did, did you ever get an explanation or not? Nah, nah. It's, I, I knew, I knew what it was about. It was just, they just offered me a contract for the sake of offering me a contract. Um, that it was, it, it was a pay cut and mm. a lot. And I thought to myself, well, you know, this is, you know, this this is silly. Like I said to you, I didn't get this offer until after after I'd been speaking to Derby anyway, uh, pretty much after when I signed anyway. So it was kind of a case of, um, you know, they they just done it just to cover their backs with the fans. And that's, that's all it was. Because if they really wanted me, if they really wanted to make an offer, they would have had me in. You know, two, three days having that conversation with me. Um, but after the Swansea game, I was, you know, picked up my stuff and that was it. Nothing was said. So if you want someone, <laughs> you're going to do what you can to, to to want me, like how they wanted me when I first came to Forest. There was none of that. So it was pretty much left to your own devices, really. What was it like with Forest fans after that and Derby fans? How, how did they take to you? Was it strange relationship with fans after you moved to Derby or not? Yeah, I got abuse. I got abuse. That was, you know, that was going to happen. Uh, got abuse from Forest fans. So, <clears throat> somebody wanted to chuck my kids in the Trent and all that stuff. Um, you know, all the, all the happy, uh, happy stuff and all that. So, um, yeah, and I had, to, had a little bit of stick from Derby fans. Um, but ultimately, Derby fans were quite happy to see me there, to be honest. But I wasn't trying to get mixed up in all the politics there. I thought, right, OK, this is a clean slate for me. Uh, somewhere that I thought at the time is the right move to, uh, to you know, has come about. But the, uh, the hidden problem with me was that I was carrying this injury. And I maybe made that move too hastily. I should have maybe took the time to heal this this groin problem um, because it went away but then it it very quickly came back and within a week of pre-season training I was back in the medical room again and um, with what looked like to be quite a serious problem um, and it just wasn't going away um, so I think you know with the you know Derby fans they may be very welcome obviously you have a small section that didn't really want me there but, you know, that, that changed, that quickly changed. And, um, you know, the Derby fans were very, very, you know, love, you know, lovely people. I know Forest fans were like me saying it. But, you know, generally, they're just another human being that's just 
you know, there to support the club. And, um, you know, they, they, they did look after me well. They did look, you know, and uh, it was, it was, you know, I enjoyed my time, especially the group of lads that I had there. I enjoyed my time there. Yeah, I mean, I was, how do you reflect on your time with Forest then? Because you spent the longest phase of your career there. Um, yeah. Was that the, the best of your career or was it tainted a bit by the way you left? Um, I think I think it's like the best time. It's it, it definitely is. You uh, you know going there on a Saturday, playing at the city ground at home. You know near enough for full house. You know twenty five to nearly thirty thousand fans, and you just you don't really get. That. I've not had that feeling. Um, you know going to other clubs, uh, especially you know obviously going to Derby as well. Um, there's just something about Forest that, for me, just just made me feel at home, and it, it was just a shame the way that things ended. It didn't need to be. It didn't need to be that way. It just needed to be a conversation on the phone, and I, mm. you know, I might have changed my mind about a certain decision, but that's all in the past. So, um, you know, it, it definitely, it definitely was my best time. Well, one of the best times I had there at a club, and I definitely really enjoyed it. You're still playing now, um, yeah. uh, you know, the latter stages of your career. I mean, why, in a way? Because uh, there's no fans <laughs> in the ground. You, you, you're 38 now. Uh, is this almost the end for you, or do you think you've got a few more years left? I, look, I set myself a target when I was 35. And, um, I, you know, I played with James Coppinger. And um, mm. I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, this guy... You know, and I—he's the real deal. And you see, you see other players that you've played against—they're in their late thirties. And I never thought—I thought I'd be done and dusted by then. I wouldn't even make thirty-five. But as the years roll by, you start to think I can still do it. You know, and you go into clubs, you turn it up in training, turn it up in games and stuff. And you're thinking, why not? Might as well carry on. When I went to Wickham the second time round, um, you know, we had. Still, my you know, the only player there that was there the first time when I was at Wickham was Matt Bloomfield, and he's still going. And you had uh, um, Akin Fenwell as well, he's still going. So, we had like a lot of senior players, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm just going to keep going, I'm going to keep going. And the target for me is to play football professionally till the age of 40. If I can go on longer than that, I will, but you know, I've, I've picked up a bit of an injury at a moment and uh you know if if they keep coming then it's it might be time to to think about you know hanging them up but i i know how to overcome certain things and it's just another obstacle and i, I like the challenge and i said to my wife i said i want one more one more promotion one more and um you know hopefully i'll get it in these you know whether it be this season or the following season i don't care how i do it I just want another medal. And that's, like I said to you, there's so many lows in football. I've had so many injuries. Uh, um, I've had so many people write me off, uh, put me down. And, you know, you get negative comments from fans. But just for that one moment of winning the medal, it that blows it out the, out the window. So, you know, I, I want to keep going until I get, get that extra one. So, but... You know, 40 is the target. And if I reach 40, then that's that's 22 years as a professional footballer. And that's something that I'll be very, very proud of. 
Are you a different player now? I guess you're not running 60 yards into the channels now. Is you, are you a bit like, uh, not compared no. completely, but, but I'm Vardy, still doing you know. It. <laughs> I'm still doing it. I'm still having to do it. I thought I'd be more of a Ryan Giggs role coming into more of the midfield area. But, you know, clubs sign me and they just want... Look, I'm good at what I do. And... Um, you know, that's, that's stretching teams, it's running into the channels and stuff. Yeah, I've lost a couple of yards of pace, but, you know, um, I had a couple of yards of pace to give up, to be honest. So I, I, I keep myself fit and ticking over. And um, and that's one thing that, you know, it's it's something that I just pride myself on my pace and I work on it. Uh, I do more gym work and everything. And, you know, to still be as quick as I, as I am now at 38, you know, I'm very, very grateful for it. You know, I thank my mum for that. So, um, yeah. <laughs> what will you do next? Have you thought about what you'll do when you retire? Well, I was in the process of finishing off my my coaching um, uh, for the B licence, but obviously lockdown happened. Um, but I'm looking at other things. Look, there's one thing that I've learned throughout life is that the world's bigger than football. And... Um, there's always other things out there that you can explore. So there's things that I'm thinking about. Um, just might take my time into it, but you know, I've got I've got a couple of ideas that what I want to do, and you know, potentially might want to fall back on. But I've, one thing about football as well, you know, if you stay in the game, you've built up so many contacts over over your career, and have met so many amazing people. Um, it's something to think about whether I want to stay in it, whether it be a, a scouting role or or whether it would be a coaching role, it's just it would be something that will materialise in the future. Thanks for everyone who watched along. Um, I really appreciate it. There's lots of good comments for Nathan. Do give us a good review and a rating. Apologies for the signal there. We had a really good hours conversation. Uh, we'll be back next week as ever. So thanks very much, everyone, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening.